I'm sorry about your daughter, Joel. But I've lost people, too. You have no idea what loss is. Everybody I have cared for has either died or left me. Everybody fucking except for you! So don't tell me that I'd be safe with somebody else, because the truth is, I would just be more scared. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Decoding TV, a podcast about television. I am David Chen. I'm Christian Spicer. On today's episode of Decoding TV, we're going to be discussing Season 1, Episode 6 of The Last of Us, entitled Kin. Uh, We will spoil everything through this week's episode of The Last of Us, but we will not spoil anything from next time on preview of The Last of Us, anything from future week's episodes, anything from the games. If you are a TV watcher only, this is the place for you. You can find more episodes of this podcast at podcast.decodingtv.com. Email us at decodingtv at gmail.com, which many of you do every week. Uh, And also subscribe to us on various platforms at Decoding TV. We're on YouTube, Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter. So give us a look on all those places. We'd really appreciate it. Christian Spicer. So much to discuss today. Um, This is episode six we're discussing today. But of course, there's a lot of responses to last week's episode, episode five, uh, which was a really eventful episode. And let's talk about some of the reactions. So um, I do want to say that if you're enjoying this podcast, the reason this podcast can exist is because of paid members at DecodingTV.com. Uh, sign up at DecodingTV.com. You'll get ad-free episodes, uh, early access to episodes, and exclusive bonuses that Christian and I are recording comparing the video game to the show. Uh, you also get the ability to comment and share your thoughts, and I will often read those comments on the air, as I'm about to do right now. Uh, but last week, there was uh, the appearance of a creature from the video game, now in the show, called a bloater. This gigantic creature that ends up ripping Pierce's head off, I think. In Perry, the show. yeah, Perry, yeah, Perry, yeah. yeah, Perry, actor Perry's character, yeah. And uh, we learned some details about that suit in the time since. I think it took it was around five hundred thousand dollars is the cost of that suit. Uh, the bloater suit took an hour to get into. Uh, they they showed some behind the scenes photos posted online, and uh, I gotta say they look pretty amazing, Christian. Um, they clearly put a lot of attention to detail in the suit and it looks spectacular um and and it just kind of shows you like that bloater was in the show for i'm gonna say i don't know six minutes tops right like a fraction of the time it took the actor to get in and out of the suit right right. so i just i'm just always so appreciative of people's commitment to the vision of like they didn't have to have the bloater in there you know like they could have just had the infected the the fast moving infected kill that guy right but they're like no we want to pay homage to this thing from the game and make it look incredible make it look incredibly menacing and scary so they designed an actual physical suit and it's like wow you you have to admire the commitment to the vision you know for something like that for for something that's in the show so little although who knows maybe we'll see another bloater in the future uh it remains to be seen we did get this question from Henrik at DecodingTV.com who wrote, quote, speaking of motive, why did the bloater rip his head off? Isn't their instinct to infect people, uh, infect alive people? In the final showdown of the episode, they rip and tear Kathleen to death. I never thought of them as killing just for the sake of it, not even as being aggressive, just wanting to spread the infection, end quote. Um, so, yeah, this, this confused me a little bit as well. I pinged you about this, Christian. Uh, we came up with some plausible explanations, right, uh, as to why... 
the infected were so violent last episode. But yeah, what were your thoughts, Christian, on like, you know, isn't their goal just to spread the infection? Why are they just murdering these people left and right in such <laughs> brutal fashion? Yeah, I appreciate this question. This is not how my brain works. Um, like there are elements of shows of suspension of disbelief that I just get behind where I'm like, I, I don't like minor spoiler for the very first Friday the 13th movie. Uh, how, how does that person, how is that person that big and survive those blows? Like before supernatural stuff gets, I, I'm just like, I don't know, horror movie, they survive stab to body, part, whatever, you know, mm-hmm. like scream. How does a person get up from that? That's just a person, right? Like I go along with it. So here it's like, I, I, I think that's a fair reaction, Christian, but we do have like, some world building here about like why, when and why these things might be violent. The biggest example being obviously that weird kiss at the end of, I think episode two, yes. right with uh Tess. And it's like, why wasn't the thing violent? It's because she wasn't a threat to them. Right. So like, that's why. So it's like, there is some world building. Oh, to it. In, that's in why I show. think this is a great question. I was just letting our listeners know that like, when I see it, my brain didn't, it, this wasn't a question that naturally jumped into my yeah. head of like, why yeah. did that happen? But I love this question. And I love that other folks are pulling this stuff out of the show. I think, you know, as we were kind of talking offline about it, I, I think part of it for me could be explained in our natural world where like, um, insects and like thinking of like what is a sentience and self-awareness and when you know at what level does a is a bug aware or is it just reacting and why do bugs kill things and i think ultimately all of it for me in the natural world comes down to in some form or fashion of survival so as i ran that filter through this moment I wonder if the bloater or you know the infected this group of infected saw perry as a threat to their survival you know here's this thing with this huge machine gun or not a huge but whatever his you know uh, assault rifle and the easiest thing in order to ensure the survival of this infection of this fungus was to just kill this thing versus bite it infect it mouth kiss it whatever it was eliminate threat that makes collective whole okay but dave i'm curious uh as you've reflected on this moment, what your thoughts are. I think the eliminating the threat is the mo- most plausible explanation of like, hey, these people pose a active threat. They're shooting metal pellets at us. like That appear just to bounce off, but like <laughs> yeah, make us really angry. But they make us angry, and so we've got to get rid of this, right? So I think, I think the, uh, the threat mitigation is probably the most plausible explanation. I mean, I, I read interviews, and you know, I think uh, Craig Mason talked a little bit about it on the podcast, and um, there didn't seem to be much. I didn't read a lot of like rationale about like here's the intricate character driven reason why they ripped his head off. It's it was more like, hey, this is kind of a cool thing from the game. Let's bring it to the show in some way, right? Where in the game, um, the bloater, if he is able to kill Joel, will kind of rip Joel's head apart. In the- it is it is nasty. It's like a pulling mouth open, and then it cuts to black before it gets too gory. But yes, it's an infamous um, fail state in the yeah. game for when you're if you die the bloater. in the game, the bloater like rips your head off, and so it's kind of a nod to that, basically. Um, but it it doesn't sound like my sense is it doesn't sound like they put that much thought into like exactly what that character's that bloater's motivation was, and so like I don't think we should put that much thought into it. But it was a little bit like yeah, if, if they're just trying to infect, is this really? Um, this feels a little counterproductive. Ripping that guy's head off feels a little counterproductive. 
Um, yeah, I, yeah, I mean, I do wonder to kind of play in this pool a little bit of like, there is the scene, I think it's Tess, if I'm re- remembering correctly, who tells Ellie, like, you might be immune, but it doesn't stop them from ripping you to shreds. Yeah, exactly. We're like, that's still a thing that apparently exactly, happens. Yeah. And we also saw in the state house, was it the state house? I think where like there was someone who just kind of had their guts ripped out, right? Like, mm-hmm. Are we going to, I guess that person turns or can they not turn because their guts are hanging out? Like, right, right. So I think there's, there's been other hints at um, death and destruction. And then as we talked about offline as well, what that clicker did to Kathleen also did not look like turning <laughs> Kathleen into an infected to me. That clicker maybe, went maybe, to maybe the infected, the infected understand that uh, having a gun is a threat, you know, maybe they're like, Oh, Kathleen gun. Must take down, you know, that's that's the logic. But speaking of Kathleen, Christian, uh, we got there's a lot of spirited debate about how effective the Kathleen storyline was. And I want to read just a couple of emails, like a couple um, in favor of Kathleen, uh, one that kind of disagreed or uh, agreed with me about Kathleen not being the best drawn character. MK at decodingtv.com writes, uh, I personally disagree about your overall opinions about the Kathleen storyline. For me, the real purpose of her plot was to illustrate how her quest for vengeance for her brother's death while knowingly ignoring the more imminent threat of the infected rising up from below resulted in her demise and the certain destruction of the entirety of the surviving Kansas City community, a community she only helped liberate roughly two weeks prior. Her single mindset, uh, her single-minded quest to uh, find Henry destroyed the freedom she had helped to create. Kind of tragic in a non-sympathetic way, in my opinion. Bethany at DecodingTV.com writes, I think David had a lot of good points about the Kathleen storyline, and I do wish there had been more actually on the screen. But the part that I thought honestly worked best for me in terms of the show at large was during her bit at the end. I think there's an expectation that if she knew why he did this, surely she would understand, especially she, since she's so angry about her own brother dying. But she doesn't. Her whole speech about how Sam wasn't worth all of this to me uh, was the part that landed best about this whole storyline. I think Christian alluded to it when he was talking about the animal farm moment there. And it's not an unheard of plot, but I think the idea of what keeps us human is the people we love, the community we build. As Joel said, there's no point in continuing to try otherwise. That felt really reinforced to me by everything with Kathleen. Surviving to survive without compassion, without staying open, maybe that's its own version of turning into a monster. And I don't think the answer, I don't know the answer to Sam's question about if you're still a you inside after you change, but it made me think of that. Can you kill off your own humanity in an attempt to survive, end quote? That is a theme in a lot of these post-apocalyptic things is like, who are the real zombies, Christian? Who are the I real zombies? I guess we zombies? are the walking dead. Mm-hmm. Wink. Who are the real watchmen, as it were, you know? I guess I am a zombie land. <laughs> Wink. <laughs> <laughs> One of my favorite letterbox lists that I made is um, uh, I made a letterbox list of movies where the theme of the movie can be summed up by the question, but who are the real title of movie? Who are the real title of movie? I guess um, I am the diehard. Mm-hmm. You know. uh, I guess I am the real Shawshank Redemption. <laughs> who is, People describe I, me as the real Green Mile. <laughs> but uh but seriously there's movies like parasite on there you know like there's there's some movies for which that is actually the case mm-hmm, mm-hmm. who's the real dune okay um <laughs> i do want to read from callan who wrote into decoding tv at gmail.com uh 
Uh, Callan said, I 100% agree with Dave's take about Kathleen. As a woman myself, I would love to see more unconventional female leaders depicted on screen. And I was intrigued when I heard the showrunners discuss why they chose to write this part specifically for Melanie Linsky. I really wanted to be invested in Kathleen's character. And my hope was that I'd feel some empathy for her as a complicated, complicated but capable leader who's motivated to violence out of grief and anger after her brother's death. However, I was ultimately very disappointed with the character for many of the reasons you explained. As viewers, we only see Kathleen seemingly at her worst moments. Killing the doctor who delivered her in cold blood, hiding the dangerous underground cordyceps threat from her followers, lying to Fedra informants and having them executed, and finally, getting herself and many of her followers killed because she is so blinded by her desire for revenge. We're led to believe that her brother was this charismatic leader who inspired others to follow her, while Kathleen is the practical leader who actually takes action and instigates change in the community, but we never see any of that on screen. In episodes four and five, we only see Kathleen make cruel and misguided decisions that are motivated entirely by emotion and personal desire, and we see how those decisions led to her downfall. In my opinion, we do not see any examples of her making logical decisions for the good of her followers. This, this left me feeling very confused about why anyone would follow her so blindly, and it also prevented me from feeling any empathy for her in the situation. If the goal of the show artist was to use Kathleen as a way to humanize the hunters from the game that choice was not at all successful for me i'm glad if others out there get uh, did get something out of her character though end quote and then um callan then talks about how marlene is a great example of a leader in the show um which is something that i also echo but yeah so uh, there you have it like a lot of differing opinions about kathleen um sometimes christian i will like see the reaction, read opinions, and then be like, oh, I was too hard on the Kathleen storyline uh, or the, that storyline. You know, I'll change my opinion on the show. Um, that has not happened. I'm not like, I was wrong <laughs> about, you know, I, thought, I think we summed up many of the many of the issues with the Kathleen storyline last episode. You you did a great job of saying, like, it's a lot of um, telling and not showing, and and I concur. I, I think it was a, I, I said last week, I think it's a, the show's first big misstep. I, I stand by that. But I do appreciate all the debate at decodingtv.com and via email at decodingtv at gmail.com. Christian, any uh, other thoughts before we move on from Kathleen, presumably forever? I mean, this is just a a thought that it came to me as you were reading those comments. I I wonder if Kathleen actually never made any good decisions. I'm I'm thinking Mm -hmm, of this now, mm -hmm. so it's not going to be well-formed. Like, she overthrew Fedra, again, out of rage. And and, and it Mm -hmm. was like, you know, screw everything. We're going to do, like, if you would thought of it rationally, it wouldn't have been a good plan, perhaps. We don't know what, you know, I'm, again, I'm speculating. We don't know what the plan actually was, but like, no, 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 I'm not going to think about this rationally. I'm going to do this. And then it worked. And everybody was like, hey, 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 we did it. Woohoo. But at that point, if that's what got them there, she's going to, she's still acting on that same instinct, right? Like, avenge Michael, avenge Michael, avenge Michael, avenge Michael. And if that's been the thrust the whole time, then perhaps, you know, that scene with her and Perry has, a, for me, maybe a little more weight of like, hey, 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 we're following you. We got you. And Perry's kind of saying to Kathleen, like, we're on your side. Don't worry about it. You keep being you. But all she's really been is this uh, heartbroken, vindictive, you know, out for revenge, bloodthirsty person that maybe had one good result. <laughs> early on and then this sequence of follies that that leads to the fall of kansas city perhaps i think that's interesting and i, and I hadn't had that thought uh yeah last time we chatted yeah but whatever the case uh I, I appreciate the dialogue with people you know like a lot of people reached out um in good faith like they weren't like trying to tear me down or anything um and gave some really logical 
reactions to what I had said on last week's episode um, and what you said too as well, Christian. So appreciate all the engagement and feel free to keep the emails coming into decodingtv at gmail.com. Christian Spicer, let's talk about season one, episode six, entitled Kin. Let's talk about overall thoughts on the episode. What do you think of this episode of The Last of Us? I really liked this episode. I What I really liked about the episode were the moments between Joel and Ellie. And seeing that armor coming down further between them. And seeing Joel be affected by this young girl. He was so repulsed by, you know, all those months ago when this journey started. And to see how that perhaps air quote humanity is changing him as a person. And I like seeing him continuing this trend of being fragile and damaged. You know, we saw that in episode four when that character Brian attacks him and gets the jump on him. But I think when you when I saw that in the moment, my thoughts were kind of like, well, anyone can get the jump on anyone at any time yeah. if you don't know someone's yeah. coming. But then we learn how Joel felt guilty about that. Uh, he he didn't think that that was, you know, he that wouldn't have been him a few years ago, that he's better yeah. than that. And like the guilt he's carried. And you kind of see, I, I feel like I saw that building in him throughout this episode. And so those moments and scenes between he and Tommy and then he and Ellie and, and everybody in those interactions, I thought this was a really strong character episode for both um, Joel and Ellie. And it wasn't until, and then I'll, I'll shut up after this. It wasn't until I rewatched it that I had my my only, I guess, knit that I could think of off the top of my head was we get a three-month time jump. Mm-hmm. And it seems like maybe nothing happened character-wise in those three months. <laughs> like, I feel like emotionally I was coming into Joel and Ellie almost as they were at the end of episode five. But it hadn't been. And I didn't feel like emotionally there was a three-month gap, hmm. per se, between those characters. That's interesting. Um, I uh, have uh, in the past on Cast the Kings podcast rather controversially shared my thoughts on time jumps. So, so for those who don't know, you know, you know, let me let me share my overall thoughts of the episode. Then I'll talk about the time jumps. Okay. So, um, but overall, I just want to say I agree with you. This is a really great episode of of the show. Um, uh, very little. Uh, action in this episode of the show like i think just in terms of um like action set pieces you know there's a little bit of action at the end but like this is really kind of a character focused episode and we learn a lot about joel like he he goes to meet tommy if you've watched any kind of movies or tv shows in the past at all you probably get a sense you could probably have guessed that this was not going to be like a super great reunion that there was going to be some if not negative, then at the very least complicating factors for their reunion. And that does in fact play out. Um, But the show, you know, know, here in this episode, uh, there is a lot of telling uh, that Joel does about his state of emotions, like his, his, his mental state. The difference between this and like the Kathleen storyline, it's obviously not even fair to compare because Kathleen was in like 1.1 episodes and Joel has been in virtually every scene of the show, um, is that it is accompanied by a lot of showing of Joel's relationship with Ellie in the last, you know, four episodes and how that develops um, or five episodes and how that develops. And, uh, And when Joel is like confessing his actual feelings, 
it feels very earned to me. It feels very like the show has laid enough groundwork for this moment to pay off. And it's very satisfying. So uh, tremendous performances by both the leads, but especially Pedro Pascal this episode, I think was the MVP. Um, he was great. And the MV Pedro, I think is what you meant by mm-hmm, MVP. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. No, he's not the most valuable Pedro because <laughs> that would imply, you know, that he, <laughs> there's no other Pedros this episode. Christian, so. Um, so that's not saying very much. But anyway, I also love the episode. Um, so those are our overall thoughts on Last of Us Season 1, Episode 6. Let's talk about our sponsor for this episode, Nissan. This episode of Decoding TV is brought to you by Nissan. As a pioneer in the electric vehicle space, Nissan is always looking for ways to deliver new, meaningful technologies to EV owners. After all, Nissan has been making EVs since 1947, and their EVs have now traveled 8 billion miles by Nissan Leaf owners since 2010. 8 billion miles. That's the equivalent of driving to Pluto and back. If you think that's electrifying, one of their EVs trekked all the way to the North Pole, and Nissan even tests their EV technology on the Formula E racetrack. But Nissan knows that you don't just get an EV for the E, you get a Nissan EV because it makes you feel electric. Because it sparks your imagination, it ignites something within you, it pins you to your seat, and it takes your breath away. At least that's what Nissan thinks about when designing their EVs like the Nissan Aria and the Nissan Leaf. It's about creating a thrilling design that electrifies its customers. I love Nissan's focus on creating a thrilling drive and electrifying life in today's world. So it's important to look around you to pay attention to look for all the tiny ways that life can electrify you. And let me just say, Christian, that on today's ad read for Nissan, I want to mention the decoding TV community. I think one of the things that is really valuable for me is watching a piece of art and having a community of people to react to it with. And I think that's one of the things that this podcast has certainly given to me. You've never done a weekly re- TV recap podcast before, right? But like, I think you can sense from all the emails and the comments, like it's just a lot of fun to like dive into the stuff with people. And you don't always agree, but it's like, uh, it's just great to, to be able to like watch something that you feel is artistically valuable and, react to it with people and have people hear your reactions and think about what they're reacting to. And um, so I, I have a great time and I find it to be personally quite electrifying. So I appreciate Nissan for sponsoring this episode, Nissan EVs that electrify. Let's talk about the opening of this episode. Now I just want to say, wanna, that, did you want to give your broad time jump thoughts? Oh yeah. yeah time jump thoughts. Okay. So, well, let's talk about the opening, and then I'll talk about time jump. Okay, so, so the opening of this episode, I, I need to explain to people who are listening to this on the main feed um, that basically for every week, for like ninety percent of the weeks, Christian Spicer and I have done a bonus episode available only to paid DecodingTV.com subscribers, where we will uh, compare what happened in the show with what happened in the video game. At the end of last week's episode, Henry kills Sam. And then we see the aftermath of that, of that killing as uh, Joel and Ellie bury Henry well, and Sam. Henry kills Sam and then himself. Yeah. And, and then himself, yes. And we see the aftermath of that as uh, Joel and Ellie bury them and then they kind of walk off on their quest. In the video game, Henry kills Sam and then kills himself. And then there's a smash cut to black. And then it basically says, I think, fall. It's like it, it, it implies that a, a significant amount of time has passed until the next events that you see. So, um Three months later, probably would be very plausible. Okay. Christian and I spent, I'm going to say, at least five to 10 minutes 
discussing <laughs> what an interesting artistic choice it was to not have the smash cut to black, right? To show the aftermath of the Henry and Sam killing and be like, ooh, like, what an interesting, fascinating choice they made. Look, look at how interesting that was. Like, what a different feel that is to have, like, Ellie register the impact of their death versus just smash cutting to black, which by itself, which itself is very unsettling and interesting as a choice, you know? Wow, that left me with a lot of feelings to just smash cut the black and say fall months later, you know? Woo, woo. Um, but, you know, whatever the case you can say, the show certainly made some interesting choices there, made an interesting decision. Well, you've betrayed me, show. That's what I have to say. <laughs> you've betrayed us. Because... Don't tell Dave he doesn't know about loss, show. He, yeah. he lo- <laughs> the, the show The show has tried to have its cake and eat it too, Christian, which is to say it has tried to end that Henry and Sam storyline with not only showing the aftermath, but also a smash cut. I, I, honestly, if you know about the video game, honestly, the opening of this episode actually is a little bit silly to me because it's kind of like, oh, they're nodding to the game. And the way they're going to nod to the game is by literally recreating what happens in the game from an editing perspective, which is showing Henry and Sam dying, smash cut to black. Um, why else do that? Unless just to recreate the ending of the game and that feeling that you got from Henry and Sam's death in the game. They could have just started this episode three months later, but they decided to reshow it, I think because they were like, oh, that was such an effective ending in the game for Henry and Sam. Let's recreate it. Anyway, now I have spent even more time talking about it. So <laughs> the show has won again. But but yeah, they show Henry and Sam again. Like, Christian, what was your reaction when you saw that in the show? I mean, I, I think it was powerful. Um, and I think it's a powerful reminder of... And perhaps maybe goes to my thoughts on the time jump. I mean, perhaps this was the last meaningful thing, you know, emotionally traumatizing mm-hmm. thing that has happened to these characters. And so to kind of reset the table as this is a, a weekly show and not, you know, as most, uh, not most, uh, who knows how many people consume it later in, in a binge, but as a, millions of people are consuming this on a week to week basis, um, I, I think it is an opening gut punch that helps set the table for how emotionally difficult parts of this episode will be because of Mm -hmm. what these characters have seen and done and not what they are actively doing on screen in this episode. As you mentioned, there's not a lot of action in this episode. So I think it was effective for me to see that. I also find it more broadly just fascinating how different the show opens week to week. You know, we we spent mm-hmm. probably 20 minutes across episodes talking about cold <laughs> opens, if not more. And then the show was like, nah. Nope, no more cold <laughs> opens. After and first two episodes, no more cold opens. Yep. Some are like, now it's a flashback, but not a, not a cold open, but like a flash. Now it's a flash for, and it, there's, I love it. It seems like each episode is trying to tell its best story mm-hmm. within the yeah. context of this larger story. And, you know, I, I don't want to say I like seeing that death scene. Uh, that seems weird but like it's in a very effective emotional scene and that, as you mentioned cutting to black after it is um traumatizing in a different way than than the i'm sorry card at the end so it worked for me yeah in, in praise of the show i will say i like that it is quite episodic like uh, other than episodes five and uh, four and five which i think were like a basically two-parter uh, every episode feels like pretty like a pretty good self-contained story uh that has tie-ins to like this broader through line but like Overall, each episode is satisfying in and of itself, and I think that's like um, that's pretty cool. You know, it's it's uh, it's tough to get that right, and I think you know Craig Mazin with Chernobyl and with this show certainly have gotten that right. 
Um, for me, I don't know. Like, I, I didn't have the same reaction as you. I was kind of like, why? <laughs> it, it felt almost like a cheat of like, oh, we're trying to get you into this certain place by like, repl- in the most brute force possible by replaying <laughs> the shocking thing that happened last episode. And it's like, okay, that's kind of a shortcut emotional um i once uh you know i once worked with an editor on a bunch of projects and he was saying how like one thing he doesn't like using is like dissolves Mm. uh to to edit things like he uses hard cuts right instead of dissolves and i'm like why don't you like dissolves and he's like kind of like taking the easy way out you know kind of like um kind of a crutch you know like if you uh can't find a good edit like just use a dissolve that'll that'll be a good way to transition between scenes but it's like no um do a hard cut instead you know it's it's kind of like okay fine you want to shortcut us to like a really upsetting place yes play play back the events from last, last episode all right time jumps three months later i complained heavily about time jumps in uh house of the dragon but in house of the dragon the time jumps were massive like, yes Six months, years would pass, sometimes decades, you know, like sometimes it'd be like you'd be jumping from place to place. And I remember reading a quote from George R. R. Martin basically saying like he couldn't figure out a way, a way to make time jumps work hmm. in, his, in his book because there's two options for time jumps, uh, right? One is nothing happened during that time or boy, it's been three months since we last checked in. Remember all this important stuff that happened? I'm going to list it to you now in exposition. You know, like, those are the two options you have. Nothing happened of a significance or stuff happened that you then need to recount in a very clunky way. Those are the two choices. Um, I honestly didn't mind this time jump, Christian, because um, three months is not a very long period of time. Um, and I think the relationship has developed to a reasonable point like they are more comfortable with each other like joel's still moody and not super nice to ellie but um but he's certainly he's he's more comfortable with her like staying watch over him while he's sleeping that's something he never would have been okay with you know i don't know if he was okay with it in this episode either he he didn't sure sure but he's he's comfortable handing her a gun and like you know he obviously he did he handed her a gun a couple episodes ago but he's like they've clearly like settled into this rhythm now um where like it felt like just hey we're slightly ahead of where we were last time with el angel that's kind of how i felt with it so didn't mind the time jump didn't seem like a ton had happened um but anyway yeah yeah. it didn't bump me up on on my first watch it wasn't until a repeat viewing and i also think that you know as i kind of settled into the thought a little bit three months to me is a long time that is a big time jump i mean tell that to my friend Terry from middle school who came back a totally different person after a summer. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> you can reinvent yourself in three mm-hmm, months. Mm-hmm. And, but that's in our modern world. And I do think that if you think of like the Oregon Trail, you know, what's three yeah. months? You're, <laughs> it's just yeah. a blip. You know, you're just kind of moving through. So I think I kind of uh, let Joel and Ellie fall into a rhythm. And thank goodness they weren't meeting wonderful people that then were dying every other day. Cause <laughs> how traumatizing <laughs> it's like your first week, like eight people, you know, die and then zero people for the three months afterwards. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's, it's, that would be a weird pacing of deaths to have in, in one's life, but you know, who knows? Um, I did look up uh, how long it takes to get from Kansas city to Cheyenne, Wyoming. Cheyenne is in the lower uh, southeast corner of Wyoming. So that'd be like one of the closer places it could be. 
according to Google Maps, 205 hours or 25 days if you walk an estimated uh, eight hours per day, I would say. Now, that's walking eight hours per day continuously. That's, you know, in modern society. Not hunting and trapping. And, not hunting, yeah. trapping. You know, so it, it felt like, honestly, a very plausible amount of time to take to get from Kansas City to Wyoming. So anyway, uh, we see a man coming home to his cabin out in the middle of nowhere. I actually, you know, I don't know if you were kind of head fake for a moment, but I almost thought that was Joel for a minute. Mm-hmm. Um, but he has a rabbit he's killed. And then we see his wife sitting calmly in a chair with Joel and Ellie already inside the cabin. Uh, Joel is like, hey, I, I don't mean you any harm. Um, uh, by the way, the, the man's name is Marlon, who's played by Graham Greene, and the woman's name is Florence, played by Elaine Miles. From Northern Exposure mm. uh, is what I, I, I knew. She's been in a bunch of other stuff, but I was like, oh, that was like the, this is the last, next time I've seen her since I loved that show. Uh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, Graham Greene, also like a very talented uh, character actor, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Um, but uh, he was in... Uh, he was in the Green Mile, it looks like, Christian, and a bu- many other things. Uh, th- that's called a callback, folks. But anyway, uh, yeah, so uh, they are, Joel and, kind of, and Ellie are kind of holding uh, Florence hostage, and they have like a very delightful interaction, I thought, where, you know, these people aren't really going to hurt each other. Joel's just looking for information. Um, Florence and Marlon, like, are are clearly people who have known each other for decades and kind of like understand what the score is. Uh, but I really love this scene. It also kind of shows you that like there's many different versions of surviving by yourself in the apocalypse, right? Like there's the, we're eating, you know, Cornish game hen every night, like Frank and Bill, and we're eating, you know, rabbits that we need to skin ourselves uh, in the, in this cold cabin um, like Florence and Marlin in this episode. Uh, but yeah, uh, Joel asks for advice heading West. Uh, and Marlon says, head east, which I thought was very funny. Um, and he also says, like, there's this river. If your brother is west of this river, he's gone. Um, they leave. Joel has kind of a miniature panic attack. Not really clear what's going on with him, but he's clearly having some kind of health issue. I, I interpret it as a panic attack based on what happened the rest of the episode. Um, but they leave the cabin. They they go up the river. They set up camp, and they, they head out there. Before we continue, anything uh, you want to say about this opening scene? I really liked it. I liked letting someone else carry the comedic lift. You know, it's not Ellie uh, trying just to be the the comedic relief. And it was a different style of comedic relief. Very dry. I loved their interactions. I loved the, uh, I'm looking for my brother. I haven't seen him. You didn't let let me, you don't even know what he looks like. Does he look like you? Yeah, kind (laughs) of. Well, I haven't seen him. (laughs) And then like, you made them soup? It's cold out. You know, just beautiful. And I love that they are... Uh, they've been there, right? Like this is it's like, yeah, you know, like they moved there long before this happened. Like this has been their chosen life. Yeah. Um, or I guess his, she didn't want to go. Yeah. Uh, but I really liked this scene. I thought, it, I thought it was exquisite. And then to your point of the panic attack. Yeah. I mean, he straight up says what's well, assuming he's being an honest uh, narrator to his brother, he, he t- talks about those feelings um, later and, and that fear that's gripping him. Yeah. Yeah. So then uh, they go up to the river, they set up camp. Um, Ellie asks what they do if they find the fireflies and make a cure that works. And what would Joel do? Where would he go? He says maybe he'd have an old farmhouse, a ranch, and he'd raise sheep because they're quiet and they do what they're told. Ellie talks about how she'd <laughs> want to go to space. Um, and Ellie questions whether the vaccine will work. She then reveals to Joel that she tried to rub her blood into Sam's bite. Um, Joel, perhaps looking to comfort Ellie, tells her that when Marlene is on, uh, is a lot of things, she's no fool. And if she says they can do it, they can do it. 
So Joel says he'll take both watches and Ellie can sleep, but cut to morning. Joel's asleep. Ellie's standing with her gun um, saying she took watch while Joel slept. Joel tells her she needs to wake him up if things like that happen. She can't do things like take watch. Um, while Ellie reports retorts, hey, she can, and she just did. Uh, and we, we do get a sense that like Joel has taught her more things in the intervening three months. Anyway, uh, they are crossing this river, the snow covered bridge. The whole thing is beautiful. It's just like, wow. Just like, gorgeous. Like the DP, the cinematography on this episode of many, but I love seeing these vast open spaces. Absolutely beautiful. Um, and they come to another river after seeing a dam. Uh, and Ellie actually wonders if, if this is the river that they're talking about. As Joel takes his map out, a group of folks on horseback with guns surround them. Uh, it's actually very scary because we've seen like from Kansas City, sometimes when you interact with other people in this world, they will kill you or torture you or whatever. So, you know, it's very, very frightening. And uh, they say they have a dog that will smell if they're infected. It sniffs Joel. He's good. But he's wondering if it will sniff Ellie out. It's very, it's a very scary moment. Like good, good reality t- TV show editing where it like cuts to Joel's face, it cuts to Ellie's face, it cuts to Joel's face, it cuts to Ellie's face. They're all really worried. Um, but it turns the out overhead track lighting started yeah. coming in and going dun 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 dun. Yeah, you know, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, <laughs> but it was it was good. I was sufficiently tense. You know, I, yes. I literally didn't know what would happen. This is not this didn't happen in the game. So I'm like, are they going to find something? Is Joel going to try to kill people? Like who knows? Who knows what's going to happen? Um, I did want to say this is based on a real thing. Uh, dogs have the ability to sniff out disease. And I learned this recently uh, because it it came out that they've been able to figure out how to detect COVID. Like dogs are now able to detect COVID infections. Um, And uh, I'm reading here from the CDC Foundation's website. Uh, Scarlet and Rizzo, COVID-19 detection dogs, were trained by early alert canines to smell and detect COVID-19 infection. When a person is positive for COVID-19, they produce unique volatile organic compounds that the dogs are trained to detect using socks worn by previously tested COVID-19 infected individuals. Um, end quote. So they basically, they, they previously in the past, they've been able to de- detect cancer. They've been able to monitor for diabetes and screen for an array of infectious diseases. They can also detect covid uh, is there anything dogs can't do, Christian? Is my question. You know, like, uh, but anyway, I, I thought that was awesome that they train these dogs to detect whether or not you're infected. Pretty cool stuff. So, and we have that technology today. Anyway, Joel says he's looking for his brother, uh, and a woman rides closer and asks his name. Uh, they take them back to a town surrounded by a large wooden wall. Uh, once inside, it seems really nice. It seems like a nice whole society. Uh, that sprung up here. Joel sees Tommy and calls out to him. They hug as they greet each other. I have to say, Christian, really emotional moment for me. You know, like I, I'm a I'm a sucker for movies and TV shows where like a person goes on a long journey to meet someone else, right? Like, or to to uh, to get a thing or to acquire a thing. And uh, some movies that come really random movies that come to mind. By the way, for uh, that that kind of fall into that category. Obviously, Mad Max Fury Road, but also like um, The Three Barrels of Melchiorre Estrada by Tommy Lee Jones. Amazing movie that no one's seen. Um, the Pianist, Adrian Brody. Like he kind of goes through a lot of trials in that movie. Um, Homeward Bound, obviously. Homeward Bound, classic, you know. 
but yeah, when when Jolsey's telling me, it's like, oh, all this emotion of like, wow, didn't even know if you were alive, never knew if I'd ever see you again. It's like really a powerful moment. Um, any thoughts on this reunion, Christian? Yeah, well, well, one, just to the town, you know, we see a lot in just brief glimpses of the town from like when they step up, we don't see Joel and Ellie get tied up. So I, you would. Uh, I assumed it was friendly, or at least cautiously friendly. You yeah. know, they weren't being dragged behind the horses to this town. But then you open up those gates and you see, I mean, you see literally all walks of life, you know, happening for young, old, uh, people running or whatever it is. I think I think in that first shot, you see a, crisp, a decorated Christmas tree. Like this is a functioning, yeah. safe, happy place. And then when he sees Tommy and calls out, I love the moment of almost anguish slash relief is kind of what I got in Joel's face. And Tommy seems happy, but I couldn't help but think, wait a minute, you got a Christmas tree, but you haven't told your brother you're okay. Mm -hmm. Like something Yeah. for, for this, this has been Joel's reason to etra, you know, (laughs) his motivating force from before Ellie in this show, right? It was get the battery from Robert, get out there, save my brother, because Radio Man has quit telling me if brother's okay, my brother has a problem of getting in over his head with stuff. I need to go seek him out. And then he sees him in that relief from Joel, and Tommy's kind of like, yeah, thanks for not giving up on your brother, or whatever it is. And I'm like, there's something, there's something here. Like, these brothers aren't on the same uh emotional relief level in terms of seeing each other and i thought that was fascinating i thought it was really well played yeah yeah um but just love yeah they they definitely are experiencing different things in that moment but seeing pedro pascal's reaction was really really yeah. amazing so anyway great 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 scene let's take a minute to talk about another sponsor for this episode this episode of decoding tv is brought to you by the mcdonald's app Say it's raining outside, you're stuck working late, or maybe you had a really long night and you're trying not to leave your house today. Just order Muck Delivery in the app and get McDonald's delivered to your door. You can now order Muck Delivery in the McDonald's app because every time you order in the app, it earns you points towards free food. And let's be honest, who doesn't like free food? You know, when they showed this whole society of people that were living in the post-apocalypse and they seemed to have everything, food and shelter and sheep and movies and so on and so forth, Uh, I couldn't help but thinking, you know what they're missing, Christian Spicer? Some McDonald's. Uh, Some of that nice convenience, that deliciousness that you can get from McDonald's. Uh, And certainly they're missing the McDelivery app, probably because there's no more cell phone infrastructure in this post-apocalypse. But but if they (laughs) had Never were smartphones. There were never smartphones (laughs) Smartphones never existed in this world, which means these people were hopelessly deprived (laughs) of McDelivery from the McDonald's app. And... Uh, that is a huge bummer for them. But I really love ordering McDelivery in the McDonald's app, um, getting food delivered to my door. My wife literally used, I'm not exaggerating, my wife literally used it yesterday. Uh, we got uh, bacon, egg, and cheese biscuit delivered to my door, and it was delicious, um, along with a Muck Cafe. So I enjoy ordering McDelivery in the app. I think you will too. Download the McDonald's app today. App participating McDonald's. The Mook Delivery app download and registration are required. Delivery prices may be higher than at restaurants. Delivery and other fees may apply. Thanks to McDonald's for sponsoring us for this episode of Decoding TV. So Ellie and Joel eat in the town. It's been a while since they've had a proper meal. Tommy and the woman before are sitting there at the table. Uh, At around uh, this point in time, Ellie screams out, what? 
to a mysterious girl who's watching them. Uh, this girl is, oh, the actor, his name is Paulina Van Cleef. She's credited in the credits as Staring Girl. Uh, and I'll just say that was a weird moment in the show. Pre- pretty weird. Uh, Pauline, the, the character kind of standing there awkwardly. Um, but uh, we will see if uh, that character becomes more important later. Uh, Christian... And I have a hunch that she might, but we literally don't know. So, I mean, she didn't die in this episode, so she can't be that important. You know what I mean? If they... <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't so. think that anyone. Tommy doesn't. The woman we learn is well, Maria. Well, Joel her gets name. stabbed brutally in the abdomen, and we don't That's know true. if he, we don't know if he's <laughs> That's so funny. We. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> why why is I'm that? Like funny, no one Christian? important died in this episode except for the lead. Joel gonna, uh, we, we don't yeah. we don't know if Joel right, lives or yeah. dies after this. Um but uh like who yeah. important got hurt in this episode? <laughs> yeah. No one. Did anyone? Hmm. Did anyone? Yeah, Can't anyway. think of it. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway. Uh but yeah, it's it's like a kind of a tense confrontation because uh Ellie and Joel don't really know how to feel about this whole society for a variety of reasons. Uh, Ellie is confrontational. She swears a lot. Uh, we we get the sense that kids in the in the town are better behaved than Ellie. I think is the sense I got right. Like uh, kids don't swear. They don't use guns. And so yeah, uh, we we uh, learn that the woman's name is Maria. She's played by an actress named Rutina Wesley. Uh, and he kind of asks her, "Hey, uh, it'd be great to have some some family time." You know, some 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 time, some personal time with the family, and uh, that's when they reveal that uh, Maria and Tommy are are together. They're a thing. So, uh, and there's a very awkward moment when Ellie says, "Congratulations." So, yeah, it's. Uh, I like the scene. I like how awkward it is. It's really well played. So, I agree. Joel wonders how they keep the town quiet, how they keep people from knowing about it. And uh, they say basically they just have a lot of strict rules about who they let in, who they tell about it. They draw power from the dam. Um, we learn that there's a council. Uh, Maria has been elected to it. We learn how everyone contributes to the town and how it's collective ownership. And there's a fun moment when they're basically like, <laughs> yeah, this is a, com- this is communist. And um, that's when Tommy's like, wait a second, I guess she's right. Which leads me to the question, where do you think, Tommy would have been on January sixth. No, I'm just, joking. I'm just joking, Christian. <laughs> but what year? But, what year, Dave? <laughs> what uh, year? <laughs> but uh, it it is funny that basically, like, you know, these these people who are from Texas, right, in the show, um, probably would have been pretty co- politically conservative, and uh, are now co- living in a commune, right? Or, or Tommy is at least living in a commune. Um, no, maybe that's a little unfair to say that they were, they would have been conservative statistically, right? That they, they, they probably would have been, um, but who, I, I, don't I don't know. They were, that, they were in Austin. So, you yeah. know, it depends. You got gerrymandering, yeah. redistricting. It's exactly. hard to tell. Exactly. But exactly. I shouldn't, this, I shouldn't jump to conclusions. Yeah. The scene is very funny where clearly yeah. it took Tommy by surprise that he was living in a communist society. Yes. Yes. Like just getting that label on. He's like, no, nah, we're not communist and maria's like yes we are that's literally what we are (laughs) that's literally what we are that's literally wow (laughs) i do think you know to to i know people don't like us talking politics on these kind of podcasts but i do think that um that there is kind of a like uh many ideas that people would refer to as socialist 
are, uh, I think, what many people consider to be common sense ideas, you know? Um, and this scene kind of mirrored that to me, right? That there's, there's, there's things that we collectively share the risk and the burden for, you know? Things like public education and having a fire department and things like that, you know? Uh, but America is just really weird about what it decides to share responsibility for and what it doesn't, right? We'll share responsibility for fire departments, but not for healthcare. And, you know, I could name a bunch of other things like that. So I did appreciate that as kind of like a parallel to that dynamic, uh, that moment in the show. Anyway, uh, Tommy and Joel finally sit down and chat at the bar. Tommy asks about Tess. Joel lies and says that she's fine. Um, Joel also lies and says uh, about Ellie saying she's the, the daughter of some important Firefly person. And Tommy tells Joel that the Fireflies have a base at the University of Eastern Colorado, which is about a, week, a week's ride south. Uh, FYI, uh, I looked this up. I believe there is also the University of Eastern Colorado in the video game, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but it is not a real college that exists. Uh, it is modeled after Colorado State University, uh, but the, in real life, there is no University of Eastern Colorado. I did also look up how long it would take to get from <laughs> Wyoming to, um, you know, Colorado. Yeah. And this is, is a fairly, like, reasonable estimate for how long that would take. So I like that they're being very geographically accurate, I think, overall. So anyway, Joel wants Tommy to come with him. Tommy refuses. Uh, Joel accuses Maria of preventing Tommy from um, messaging Joel back. And we learn a little bit more about Joel doing some bad things before. Like Joel says he did things to keep him and Tommy alive. Uh, Tommy says that they did those things together. We murdered people. We survived the only way knew, they, we knew how, they said. And then Tommy then reveals that Maria's pregnant. And obviously Joel is has a lot of conflicted feelings about it. Um, uh, and Tommy says, like, just because life stopped for you doesn't mean it has to stop for me. You know, and and that's why Tommy is being more conservative. Like, I need to stay at home. I can't go with you. I need to protect my family. And Joel's like, how dare you? Um, it's a very painful scene. And why don't we just pair it up with this other scene that happens at the workshop, right? Where Tommy brings Joel a new pair of boots and, they, and apologizes. Uh, I, I just want to start off by saying I really like the fact that in this scene... You know, it's it's always interesting when you can have dialogue with characters when one of the characters is doing something, and then like you have that, you have the action that they're doing kind of mirror the themes of the conversation in some way, and it's hard to do it in a way that's subtle and effective. But I think this one does it right. Like Joel is emotionally broken, but also his boots are broken. Tommy comes in with the new boots, but also Tommy's trying to come in and and help Joel to be made whole emotionally as well in addition to just the boots. Joel tells Tommy about Tess. He tells Tommy about Ellie saving him in Kansas City. He's talking about his failures. He says he was so afraid um, when that dog came up to them initially, and he says that his fear is creating these panic attacks. He tells Tommy about his dreams where he's failing, and he's basically saying how he's like just a failure all around. He wants Tommy to take Ellie because he doesn't think he can do it. Heartbreaking scene. This is going to be in Pedro Pascal's Emmy reel. I loved it. I thought it was very good. You know, it is a case, again, of telling and not showing. But I think the show has done a lot of showing in in the previous episodes. And so uh, I thought it was completely earned. I love this whole sequence. Uh, I have more thoughts, but Christian, I open the floor to you. What are your thoughts on the Tommy and Joel relationship this episode? 
Well, I'll start by saying, in case our listeners hear it, my dog has started barking. Apparently, I'm infected, um, mm-hmm, and it's uh, good and to she's know. Letting, she's letting me know. I don't know if the mic's picking it up or not, but if you hear a dog barking, that's probably mine, not yours. Um, I, I loved this scene. I loved the scene at the bar as well. Um, I, I thought it felt very real between siblings, not me and my siblings, of course. We're, we have a perfect relationship, and we love each other. Um, nothing. We never fight. We never bicker. Um, but it, it felt like hurtful in the way that only family can. Um, and I think that line of just because your life stopped doesn't mean mine has to also is just, it's brutal. Just, it's a brutal line to say to someone, you know, I mean, even up until the end of this episode, probably the worst attack Joel has suffered, <laughs> you know, like physical mm-hmm. or, or emotional. Um, after Sarah being killed, obviously, but I, I thought it was really powerful and, and played really well. And same with the workshop, this conversation of, of who they are. And I love this, these ideas of um, protecting family, which for so long, Joel has reinforced that that is the only reason to do things and you protect family and family is what you do. And now here's Tommy saying, I'm not going to help. Basically, I think this in, in many ways mirroring what Joel was saying um, to Marlene or maybe to Tess way back at the beginning of like, she's cargo. I'm not. No, we, we don't. We, we turn back. We go back to the QZ. This is busted. We're, we're done. We're over. It's, it's not worth it. Um, and Tommy's saying like, I'm here for my family. I'm not here for this girl, you know? Yeah. And Joel pushing back on that. And I think that's reflects one Joel considering whether or not he's willing to say it yet or not. Ellie as family, yeah, And then two, also that reckoning of, man, that part of like everything I've done has been a failure. It's just like, ooh, I mean, any adult I feel like has those feelings. And then any adult that spent any amount of time working in a creative field uh, has probably swam in those feelings <laughs> for too long. But just beautifully performed yeah, and, and, and just a, a masterfully tragic scene, I think, between these two grown men. I think... Let me let me say a statement and you tell me if it's unfair, okay? But I think it's rare to see a character as traditionally masculine as Joel open up about his feelings in this way on screen like this. I I, I think maybe maybe there's a bunch of TV shows that have it and I'm just not watching them. That's possible, but like I, I will also say in the video game, um. Joel doesn't say anything like this, as far as I can recall. Like, this is a show invention where he's just basically stating his feelings and his fear. And in the video game, like, because you're playing as Joel, like, you get to have those feelings. You don't need anyone to say it. But because this is a show, I think they wanted to make these feelings much more explicit, make him extremely vulnerable in this moment. Uh, I think it's a gambit that works, but I, I did find it to be quite refreshing. You know, to watch these two men who are brothers to be basically really honest about their failures with each other. Um, I just think it's I just think it's rare that men talk about their feelings with each other like in such an explicit, vulnerable way. And so it was really amazing to witness it. So 
Christian, it doesn't sound like you're super agreeing. You're like, I, I this is how I talk with my bros all the time. Is kind of the impression I'm getting. <laughs> I mean, I, I well, one, I'm not at, I'm not an alpha male the way Joel. I would have died long ago after outbreak day. <laughs> uh, my, I have bad circulation and my hands and feet get very cold. So as soon mm-hmm. as they started walking through the snow, I'd be like, oh, I'd I'd be literally left behind. It's like, mm-hmm. nope, you're not worth the the risk. Mm-hmm. I'm like, but my hands mm-hmm. are so cold. We need a fire. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I would have died. Um, I, I just don't have the encyclopedic knowledge of like other prestige dramas that get into feelings. I feel like I can picture scenes from Breaking Bad where, you know, Walt breaks down. I feel like there are probably moments in the wire where McNulty questions doing what he's doing and why he's yeah, doing it. Yeah, I just actually, don't have that knowledge like to pull it right now in the moment. Right, but I, right. I, I feel like this feels like a prestige TV thing and not this yeah certainly it's not an 80s action movie you know <laughs> trope i, I, I would um, argue even in prestige tv it's quite rare like that's what i would say like yes in breaking bad you know there are moments when like walter and jesse really have a heart to heart but they don't really talk about their feelings in the way they do mm. here there's a there's a scene where mcnulty admits his failures but he's doing it to a woman in in the wire um and not to another man you know like i i, I don't know Maybe people will write in with like, here's 50 examples, but like, <laughs> I do think, I do think it's rare and I do think it's like admirable when it happens. And, um, and it's also like something that, uh, even in the context of this show is like something that like the show didn't need to make text. Um, you could, he could have not had this speech and you could have still gotten a lot of it, but the show chose to make a text. I think it was a bold choice and I think it paid off. So that's all I wanted to say. I don't want to belabor it too much, but, um, but I liked it. So anyway. Uh, so then Tommy basically says, okay, fine, Joel. Like, I, I believe you that this is not a good idea for you to go on this quest and I, I will, I will do this. Um, and he's honest with him about her immunity. Like at the bar, he lied and yeah. now he's honest. So he kind yeah. of, there's that moment where Tommy goes like, tell me everything. Yeah, and, yeah. 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 You know, we assume that Joel tells him literally everything yeah. and fills him in. And then he's like, okay, I understand. Cause I, I, I think he won him over with, this is for family. If you do this and deliver her and they make this vaccine your unborn child will grow up in yeah, a world in a far better world. yeah than you could ever provide without this this needs to happen i think that's what wins him over and i think that's powerful also yeah, yeah 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 there's a scene where you see ellie like walking around outside the town i think you're meant to understand from later stuff that like she found where joel and tommy were and like listened in the conversation kind of a stretch but whatever you know um but then Joel goes to visit Ellie in a house uh, that they're staying in. Ellie's reading a diary and she's like, is this really what girls cared about boys and what to wear and stuff like that? It's so weird. Um, so, so insignificant, you know, compared to the problems we're dealing with today. Uh, and uh, Joel goes to tell Ellie that she's not going to be continuing the journey with her. And uh, Ellie says she already heard. And, Ellie brings up the nuclear. Ellie invokes the nuclear option, Christian, which happened prior. If we want to capture yes. the Ellie Maria scene, yeah, yeah, um, yeah, that kind of happened while Joel, because like Joel, those two Joel and Tommy scenes, I think, worked to discuss together. But kind of as that was happening, as they were at the bar, yeah. the B story Ellie and as Maria it were, yes. were, yeah, they converge. Uh, Here's where they converge. Where yeah, Ellie they converge, and Tommy, yes, uh, Ellie and Joel. Ellie has a nice chat with Maria. Maria is like, "Don't trust anyone," but and Maria cuts her hair, but. Uh, Ellie also learns that Maria had a child that died and also Joel had a child that died. And this is the first time that Ellie learns anything about Joel's background. Right. So, 
And most importantly, we get to see Ellie in her popsicle hoodie, which is another uh, mm-hmm. fun wardrobe change that works in the world. It, it totally works in the world. And it's a, what a fun nod, I think, to, to folks who played the game again without being like overly Wolverine opening up the briefcase with his uh, costume in it. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, she, she brings up the nuclear option of, of uh, hey, I'm, I'm not your daughter, like you don't need to be afraid that I'm going to die in the same way that you're afraid, you're afraid of her. Like her, your failures around her don't apply to me basically is what she's trying to say. Um, the whole Ellie storyline with Joel up to this point has been about her trying to escape Joel's past and his past trauma, right? Like, um, Hey, I didn't force you guys to come out here with tests. Like I didn't force you to like do this thing that resulted in Tess dying and so on and so forth. Like, don't blame those things. Don't pin those things on me. That's kind of what Ellie's trying to say. And Joel is not happy that she's saying any of that stuff. And she's like, he's like, hey, you're not my daughter. I'm not your dad. We're parting ways tomorrow. So that's it. And Joel sits alone and kind of thinks about Sarah um, in the aftermath of that. Any thoughts before we get to the final couple of sequences, Christian? I thought this also was very powerful. Um, and I, I think, you know, we talked about, you mentioned how Joel sharing his feelings with Tommy and how that scene and and the fact of that, the TV show, including that scene, but you know, he hasn't shared these feelings with Ellie, you know? So we, as the viewer know where Joel's emotional state is coming into this conversation. Mm -hmm. Ellie doesn't necessarily like she, she listened in on this conversation, but I think that's different than having that person confide in you about Mm -hmm. their feelings of inadequacy or failure or whatever. Um, And so having Ellie, you know, intentionally or unintentionally add another dagger into Joel's back as he's already carrying so many, it seems is, and then to have Joel react back the way I think a lot of people do not with, um, um, I don't want to say humility, but like, taking it in stride, he punches back, right? It goes tit for tat. It's yeah, I'm yeah. not your, you're not my daughter and I'm not your dad. And it, it's just, Oh, it, it felt yeah. Yeah. raw and, and wrong, not for the show, but like, don't treat each other that way. <laughs> um, yeah. I thought it made for really Can't good. You guys tell that you love each other. You yes, know? exactly. Yeah. Yes. Uh, anyway, it's the next day. Ellie sits awake, ready to go, uh, you know, in her room, Tommy enters, they head to the stables. Joel's there. And maybe he's there to say goodbye to her. Uh, Joel said he came to steal a horse and leave, but now he I thinks Ellie. <laughs> I love that moment because you do. You're like, oh, he he's gonna go. He he's, he wants to say goodbye, and he's like, I mean, that might be why I'm here, but I, that's not why I came. <laughs> I came yeah. to sneak out earlier and steal a horse. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And now he thinks Ellie deserves a choice with who she goes with, him or Tommy. Uh, Joel thinks he, she'd be better off with Tommy, but before he can even finish, like she kind of throws a bag at him and is like, let's go. And that's also wonderful because it's like, there's no like sappy, like, Oh, you do care moment. Like, you know, it's just, Hey, like, you know, this is how it has to go. Let's go. And, uh, I think the question for the viewer, right. Is like, is this moment successful for you? Right. Like, do you buy that? What has been built up in this relationship enough to buy this reaction to the two of them. I think yes, you know, and certainly like with my knowledge of the video game, I think yes as well. I don't know what people are going to, how people are going to react, but I, I think the show has done a good job laying the groundwork for this very critical moment where Ellie's like, we're, I'm with uh, ride or die with Joel till the end, basically. 
right? So I I agree. I mean, she's presented by Joel earlier uh, as they're both already angry that Tommy's the better person. Um, yeah, analytically because of X Y Z knows the area younger, yeah. more fit, whatever. But she expresses to Joel, you know, in that same moment that everyone in her life has left her except for Joel. And so if my choice is to continue to trust the person who got me this far and got me through all the crap we've seen and experienced together or go with this new unknown person, yeah, I'm going with the person who got me here. You know, I'm not I'm not changing right. my hand all of a sudden uh, trying something new. So I, I think it's I think it's earned in show, but I'd love to see what listeners um, feel also. They go to the they, you know. Take the journey. There's some nice moments of bonding, target practice, uh, more conversation between the two of them. Uh, Joel reveals that he was a contractor before uh, the outbreak. And then he says, everyone loved contractors. You know, you, you, like she said, do people li- li- like contractors? Like, yeah, people love contractors. Um, Christian, do you love contractors? <laughs> Every Everybody loves contractors. There's nothing... I love I love things being you know end up being end up being more expensive than you think and taking longer than than you think. <laughs> I, I, here's the thing in Seattle, like we we are in the middle of like a like a massive quantity of housing and commercial real estate has been built upon in the course of the last decade in in Seattle, and so contractors, you're like looking at a six to nine month wait for any even pe- people being able to entertain your call. So, so they you are, would love a contractor if one showed up. They're incredibly in high demand, <laughs> yeah. I would say. Um, popular, you know, is is in high demand the same as popular? It's up to you. So, um, anyway, they head to the university, right? Um, and they get to the University of Eastern Colorado, which doesn't exist, um, does not exist. And they see monkeys are loose on campus. The campus is like really empty. It seems like people left in a hurry. Uh, a little bit of a video gamey element, Christian, where they find this note that happens to be conveniently there laying out what their like escape plan was or is like, here's the packing list. That's very similar to like in a video game where you'd like find a note from someone um, and, and kind of put together the story yourself. Except also so, in the video game, two things would not have check marks on it and you'd need to go collect them. But mm-hmm. well, just in case we do see them, let's go get MacGuffin and McGruffin to bring. Mm-hmm, totally. 100%. To bring with 100%, us. Yeah. Uh, there are... Uh, monkeys that they see all loose on campus. I, I, you know, there is a there's a very marked difference in how this scene plays out in the video game than the show. And I think we'll save that for the uh, for the bonus episode. But I do want to acknowledge it's a very similar scene in the in the video game. It's it's very different aesthetically. Um, the monkeys give it a very ominous feel. I'm just going to put that out there. Like these test monkeys being out in the open, it's very ominous uh, on this campus. Anyway. Um, they hear something outside. A group of marauders that conveniently happen to arrive at the exact same time as them, carrying bats and stuff. Uh, so they try to sneak out the back. They get attacked. Joel kills his attacker, but he's stabbed by a sharpened baseball bat handle. Um, they get on the horse and ride away as Ellie fires at them. Uh, and then later, Joel falls off his horse, and Ellie says, I can't do this without you. As we hear a cover of ne- Never Let Me Down Again by Depeche Mode play over the end credits. End of episode. Um, yeah, I, I did think it was a little bit goofy that like, it's kind of a situation where they're like, they have no one around for miles. And then literally when they show up, that's when these other people show up. It it did feel kind of video gaming, but maybe there will be an explanation in the show. Like they were being followed or these people were on patrol or whatever, but 
it, it did feel a little bit silly to me. Other than that, uh, Christian, any thoughts on this closing sequence? I thought it was really powerful. Um, and I think circumstance or happenstance can get you into scenes just fine. I, I, I don't know. I mean, I think are people going to this university to rate it for supplies fairly often, especially if there's word that a group mm-hmm. just left? I could see that happening. We, we learned that they suspect the Fireflies are going to Salt Lake City. They find that map. So that kind of, you know, would be the next, I guess, part place in their journey, but for Joel's in, injury. Um, so yeah, I, I think I'm okay with this other group showing up there at, at that time. Um, them, it seemed like a small group and them not being able to sneak away. I don't know if I was frustrated because I'm bummed that Joel is, is now dead or maimed, but I was a little, I, I really wanted them to get away. I thought they did it. I liked, I, I mm-hmm. liked the tension of like, Oh crap, back door, back door. And I, I liked holding on to the idea that they'd escape. Yeah. And, yeah. and when they didn't, it, I don't know if it was me, the viewer or me, the person emotionally invested in these characters. That was like, Oh crap. They got him. <laughs> Which mm-hmm. I guess is effective television that I was like, so in it that I was like, no, no, no. They, oh, they should have gotten away. Yeah. Um, and that scene at the end, I thought was beautiful. Like so much of this episode of travel has kind of been desolate. And here there was a lot of um, remnants of humanity. We see the train in the background, not going anywhere, uh, a different train track that's empty and alone. And then there they, there they are on horseback with Joel, just kind of motionless in the snow and, and Ellie there bent over him. I thought it was beautiful and, and different than a lot of the scenery we had seen thus far. Uh, I, I think the approach they've taken to the Joel and Ellie relationship is an interesting one, you know, um, because they've they've chosen, as I've said, to make a lot of it text uh, in a way that they didn't have to or that they didn't in the video game. And part of me is like, I wonder if they felt like they, they had to do it for the show, you know, or if if maybe they could have just done it more below the surface. But like maybe there's something more satisfying about um what I'm trying to clarify is like in this episode, Joel's basically like very explicitly, I can't protect this person who I care about. Like, you know, I need someone else to protect her. And then he finally gets a chance to protect her. And then they like actually like bond in a very like kind of loving way afterwards, in my opinion, like they're very like friendly and like, it's becoming clear that they're, they're uh, at least having a nice friendship. Right. Um, and um, it's just an, it's just an interesting approach to me because it's like I've seen other movies where or other TV shows or works where um, they don't make that like connection that explicit. Where like it's like, hey, we went through this thing together, but we never were friendly with each other, you know. But we nonetheless like still have an attachment. And the the show I think is making their connection much more um, part of the text in a way that. Um, I just think it's notable and I'm, I'm I'm trying to figure out like, is it more effective or not? It's just something that's on my mind. You know, I don't have a, I don't have a final decision on it or final thought on it yet. Um, But yeah, uh, I thought the episode was very good. Very strong. Um, Pedro Pascal. Awesome. in This episode, Bella Ramsey, also very good. And seeing this whole miniature society uh, is, is pretty cool, especially in stark contrast to like all the stuff that Joel's been through, you know? Um. I do, I do, you know, wonder the same question, Christian, of like, did nothing happen in the last three months? Did he encounter any other effed up stuff? But even if he didn't, it's like, uh, yeah, he went through like this horrifying ordeal and then arrives at this place where people are celebrating Christmas. Of course, it would mess with his head in a really strong way, you know, and and I like that the show does a good job of kind of bringing that conflict to light. So 
You went through these horrible ordeals to find your brother who is there celebrating Christmas. It's not even that this town (laughs) is. It's your brother you thought was in grave danger is like, you know, married or coupled up with the kid on the way and decorating a Christmas tree. It's like, what the, if you knew what I went through, <laughs> dear brother, it's like, Oh, well, do you want some eggnog? Cause we're partying in here. It's, it was really, I, I really like this episode. Yeah. I mean, in, in many ways, Joel is frozen in time, right? Like Tommy says it in the episode, but also he has that watch, right? Like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, that is broken and is frozen at the time when Sarah died. Um, you know, he, he's frozen in time. He can't move on, right? And the question that the show asks is, can Joel move on? Does his relationship with Ellie allow him to move on? And if so, in what form? Uh, and and seeing somebody who has moved on multiple through multiple life stages would, of course, be really challenging for him. So, uh, solid episode. Solid episode. Really liked it. And I appreciate you, Christian, chatting with me about it here on Decoding TV. Um, you can find more episodes of this podcast at podcast.decodingtv.com. Email us at decodingtv at gmail.com. Check out our bonus episodes at decodingtv.com where Christian and I are comparing the show to the game. Lots of interesting stuff to dive into this week as well. Christian, until next week, where can people find more of your work on the internet? My website's a great spot, christianspicer.com. There are a few video games that had their embargoes come up that I wrote about them there. If you want to read about them, I post them there as kind of those embargoes come up. You can also go over to the store page there where I am selling my graphic novel entitled Consequences that I think viewers of The Last of Us will really enjoy. It's a 30-page book uh, about vengeance and revenge. And in the back has the script and some notes. You get to see layouts and changes thanks to people who have ordered i believe i got all of those out and shipped out i'm staying on top of that daily um i still have a few physical copies left if you want to jump over there you can find them at my site all right i want to give a big shout out and thank you to the folks at decodingtv.com who are paying to keep this podcast going really appreciate y'all and if you enjoy what you're hearing and want us to keep running this podcast year round all the time uh please consider becoming a paying member at decodingtv.com until next week see you later goodbye